Welcome to Anything But Routine, presented by Just For Kicks. This podcast covers everything and anything dance. Stay up to date with the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Our Dance Coaches Conference offers industry-leading education and consultation, surrounding you with leadership development, best practices, and technical tools. You'll leave camp more prepared and inspired to further your team. For more information, go to justforkicks.com slash coaches conference. Cindy sits down with a medical expert. They discuss everything from stretching to kids' ability to do their splits. I'm here with Meredith Betulis. Did I say that right? You did. And yes. Meredith and I have known each other for, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years off and on in this dance industry. And would you tell everyone about yourself? Because I know you have quite the expertise. Sure. So when people ask me that question, there's so many hats. And I think of it as five P's. So I'm a sports and dance med physical therapist. Okay. I'm a certified personal trainer, an exercise physiologist. Wow. Pilates and yoga and progressing ballet technique instructor. And then I'm still a performer myself. I have actually taken my dancing and applied it to competitive fitness, which is a mixture of bodybuilding and obstacle course racing. So I'm out there competing on the world circuits and choreographing my own stuff a couple times a year. And uh, so far doing really well. One in 2018, one world, second place runner up in wow. 2019. So it's been an exciting run and I keep on going. Well, that's amazing. And I know you've done stuff for us at camp before and it's always been really well received. So a lot of times when I have a question, right, I really love it when the Facebook group has a question and you answer because I know they're getting good, solid advice. So let's just start with a few questions. Um, and this is when you actually gave me a list and they were all really intriguing to me. So to stretch or not to stretch what, when, and why, and the whys of flexibility. So maybe just touch on that a little bit, because I know a lot of times coaches will be like, my kids want to stretch for a half an hour before we start. So what are all your feelings on that? Yeah, that is such a big topic, but I know. so important, so important for dancers. So the first thing I would say is that if it's before practice, we need to really focus on the warm up by gradually increasing heart rate. So we use dynamic stretching on the front side of practice because that allows us to move our body through initially small ranges of motion like neck circles, wrist circles, ankle circles, and then progress into larger motions that maybe have a lot more choreography in them. So that's the front side of practice. So, now, so dynamic stretching for people that don't understand that's really um incorporating movement with the stretching right absolutely so start with smaller slower motions moving into larger total body faster motions okay and how then, how long do you suggest stretching at the beginning of practice if the dynamic stretch is part of the warm-up 10 to 15 minutes is really a great wonderful number Okay. Now, the static stretches. The dancers love to sit in positions. Yes. And 
What we've learned about that is that if we sit in a position, we decrease our power for up to an hour. So we need to be mindful of how much sitting in positions we are doing, especially if our joints aren't warmed up yet. So usually I say wait until the end of your practice for those prolonged static hold stretches. So dancers are familiar with things like splits or straddles um, and other various versions of that. So definitely do incorporate that. But what a lot of dancers and coaches, it hasn't quite spread through their world yet, is that if we really want to increase somebody's splits, we need to practice four sets of 30 seconds. That means like do your right ones 30 seconds, do your left ones 30 seconds, do your centers 30 seconds, and repeat it three times over. So I think a lot of times we sit in it once, but then we don't sit in it again. So we need to incorporate a little bit more sets into our practice to be really effective with increasing motion for dancers that aren't naturally Gumby. Oh, that is interesting for me to know. Yeah. I, I've always had them sit a long time, but you know, after they're warm, but I, I have not done it four times. Yeah. That's one that it's from our research. So being physical therapy, I am very research based, but I like to make it practical too. Right. So that leads me into my next question. Can all dancers do the splits or kick higher? Is, or are there people that just simply cannot do it? Yeah, and I get this question so much. So the short answer to that is no. Not every dancer can sit in the splits or the straddles, but it doesn't mean that they can't be beautiful, amazing jumpers. So I always think of, so you think you could dance, the classic TV show. And I love that show among all the dance shows. And the, like the boy dancers, not all of them could sit in center straddles, but yet some of them have amazing Russian or toe touch jumps. Right. So yeah, it's not necessarily about being able to get your hip into a certain configuration as much as it is figuring out how do you work with your body? So how do the guys get up? They jump a little higher and they tuck their tailbone up towards their nose and they engage their core at a very fast speed to bypass the flexibility that they can't sit in on the ground. So sometimes dancers think, oh, if I stretch more, I'm going to get it. And with teenage dancers, they're growing. And sometimes their bones grow faster than their muscles. So if we try to overstretch or force a stretch or partner stretch, we might rip the growth plate instead of actually getting the muscle to stretch. Oh, yeah, that'd be bad. To heal. So a lot of dancers will be like, oh, I strained my hamstring. I'm like, you didn't strain your hamstring. You injured, you fractured your growth plate at your butt, <laughs> quite literally. So some dancers, they might have these wonderful, awesome leg holds, but yet they can't stand in first position. Their first position is 45 degrees, and that is the limit. Or if they can't do a straddle on the ground, but yet they're your best firebird leaper. So different dancers have different configurations of hip bones and they have fancy names. So if you hear the word cam or pincer or dysplasia, that's kind of a sign that you shouldn't push your dancer to really get the straddles or get another position because their bone might be hitting a bone on the inside. And if you keep forcing it, you're either going to break a bone. And I did that years ago, like, 15 years ago, I broke my hip doing a fan kick because the bone hit a bone. And I just, I shouldn't have done that. I should have known better. And um, 
I, I didn't. And I just wanted to achieve something as a performer and didn't listen to the limits of the body. So I don't want other people to experience that too. So if you have a dancer that comes back and they're like, yeah, I have hip dysplasia. I have this fancy hip bone thing going on. They're probably telling the truth and it's okay to realize not every dancer can attain every single position in the same way. Wow. That's good for us to know. And I mean, I think it's important the more educated coaches are, obviously the better off their dancers safety is going to be and their future, because I think we're all seeing a lot of hip injuries in our dancers you know, I've been doing this a long, long time. And, you know, you talk to kids later and it's like, whoa. And I think it's all those fan kicks, like what you were mentioning and, and the middle splits, different things like that. Absolutely. It's so some of the kids with these different hip bones on the inside, they might not be able to do a fan kick or they might not be able to do the straddles just because their bones simply won't allow it. And if we force it to, it's going to either break a bone or it's going to tear through the labrum, which is the cartilage inside your hip. Wow. Well, that's what my daughter just experienced last year. So I'm very well aware of that. So let's switch topics and talk about, um, you know, one of the things as a coach, I find this, you know, getting my kids in shape cardio-wise to sustain the routine. And the routines are only less than three minutes long, but for that high intensity training, um, what do you suggest to get them in their best possible shape and be able to handle it? That is a really intriguing question, especially because we just finished a heart rate variability study that was two years long and we did 150 dancers. And it was um, shocking actually. So, in sports medicine, we found out that a lot of people work really hard. A lot of athletes work really hard, but their recovery isn't there. And when that happens, their cardiovascular endurance actually goes up during break weeks or during rest periods or if we do yoga. And interestingly, in the dancers, we found the same thing. Like our yoga group had more cardiovascular endurance improvements than the group that did high-intensity interval training twice a week, which was super interesting. Well, that about blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not saying don't do high-intensity interval training because there's a time and a place, but we have to think about where we are at in the season. So if it's, let's say it's summer, and we are getting ready for fall, and then we have our fall season, that is the time and the place to say, I am going to build an amazing cardiovascular capacity. I'm going to condition. And it doesn't have to be running laps. It could be functional movements. Like you do jumping jacks and you do burpees and you do walking lunges and you do leaps across the floor. So they don't have to go for a run necessarily. And then when we move into the season, they already have their dances. So those run throughs are actually the high intensity intervals. Now here's the catch allowing enough time for recovery because when dancers are just coming back to the season if we go all out it needs to be like a one to four ratio so one time all out followed by let's say that was two minutes four times that on the recovery are you meaning within that same practice like yeah so, okay. yeah so let's say we have a um a palm routine or hip-hop routine that we're preparing for fall 
So go all out for your two minutes, but you need four times that. So you need eight minutes of not doing that dance to recover. And I'm not saying don't move, but that's a great time to think about how am I cleaning this? What am I focusing on? Do I just want to run a particular turn set and focus on cleanliness instead of saying, okay, three times three, ready, set, go, because there's no way you're going to get the best performance and then their system gets fatigued injury rates go way up and your actual cardiovascular performance is going to go way down, even though it seems completely counterintuitive. And I know I learned from you that that is also a good time to stretch then when you're really hot, like you ran the routine. I believe that's what you used to say is use that recovery time maybe to stretch. Yeah, you could do a little stretch. You could do a little Pilates. You could do a yoga sequence. You could focus on elements of the routine that you need your dancers to really focus on. So say, okay, next run through, we need to focus on toes. Let's just walk through this next 16 counts four times. So we all think about how are we pointing our toes or moving our toes so we get it all together on our next run through. Correct. Is there ever a time you suggest doing it two times in a row or three times in a row? Yes. And it depends. So when we get into those high intensity, like a kick routine, the dancers are going to be really challenged and that works what we call anaerobic. So when we go anaerobic, our capacity is max three minutes. After that, you will have to bring the heart rate down. Like there's no way you can keep going at the same energy level. You're going to have to pace yourself. So you will need to take a break from the run through unless you want your dancers to start vomiting and I think we've all seen it where dancers are like off on the side puking because they work too hard. I just saw it this year one day. In fact, we filmed it and we just laugh hysterically at it now because <laughs> we were dropping like flies. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of it is those routines, they are high intensity. And if it's a high intensity routine, do it, do it full out, do it well, go for your best execution and then give it at least twice as much time. Give it at least six minutes to do something that isn't that, that isn't high intensity, that isn't running in place, that isn't skipping, just low intensity. Let's focus on the technique. Let's focus on what we need to do in our next run through to execute well. So that's really a misconception among coaches that you need to run it back to back because I've heard college teams doing it three and four times in a row. I have, and I've seen it. And that's when your injury and puke rates go up. So, yeah, I, I love to hear that. So you still think you can attain that, um, you know, effortless performance look that we're all trying to achieve with that rest period in between? Absolutely. It's your nervous system and your metabolic system. They cannot recover if you keep running it back to back. So you're actually going to get a better performance if you stop, walk around, think about it, give them a focus, discuss the focus, and then try it again after you've given that six to eight minutes just to refocus the brain on what's important and where are we going to drive our attention in the next run. Well, I know my team is going to be extremely excited to hear that news. (laughs) Yeah. So what else do you find, you know, things that we could talk about? What other common um, misconceptions or injuries or, or concerns you have in your, you know, with your position, what are you seeing that coaches need to be aware of? I think we've touched on a lot of the major ones, but another big one that's coming up are the shin splints. And the thing is that they aren't actually 
shin splints. They're not actually muscle injuries. By the time we see them, they're bone injuries. So that's really hard to manage because I realize a lot of dancers are assigned to the cafeteria and the cafeteria has a hard floor. So the more we can do to minimize impact, like I know some teams will wear their sneakers for conditioning and part of their high kick practices. And that has definitely been one step in the right direction. And I know that um, some teams have a practice and the dancers have told me it's called pounding out the counts, which is like kind of slamming your feet into the floor to make a loud noise on the downbeats or to get everybody together. And if we slam our feet into the floor to make that loud noise, it's going to really increase those fracture rates a lot. So we need to think about being light and bouncy on our feet and trying to think, how can I minimize impact with this team? So sneakers is one way of trying to work with that a little bit for kick at least. And you're so right on the surface. You know, my team, I've done this for a long time and my team used to practice in undesirable locations. And right now we get to be in gyms two days a week and we're at the studio with a fantastic floor one day a week and sometimes two and our shin splint rate has gone way down and the days that we are in the cafeteria we do try to wear you know really good tennis shoes so that's that's good advice for anyone so how does a coach know when it's gone from a shin splint to a bone injury like are you talking a stress fracture Yeah, they're getting um, stress fractures or there's another fancy word out there, a periosteal reaction, which doctors will come back and they'll say, well, it's not a fracture, but you've injured your bone. And generally, there's no way for a coach to know that on the outside. It's detected when they run the x-ray, but we don't necessarily want to go send all of our kids through x-rays. So 99.9% of the time with a dance team, it's going to be a bone reaction. So when your kids are getting those shin issues, it's rarely is it the muscle reactions that we see in those track runners. Wow, that's interesting. And I'm sitting here thinking about myself <laughs> going, wow, I think I have, you know, I felt like I had chronic shin splints, but maybe it's something more. Yeah, I've, I've gotten them too when I guest teach. I'm just on the floor for, you know, two or three days at a time. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> that wasn't right. That was a really hard floor. I shouldn't have jumped that much on that floor. Yeah, so days that we are in the cafeteria, we should probably focus on things more like um, turning would be easier or head, you know, working on choreography where you're working on cleaning and stuff rather than that heavy impact type thing. Yeah, that's definitely um, helped a lot of teams for sure. Another one that we get with teenagers a lot is that front of knee pain, the lovely patellofemoral syndrome. And a lot of that is because they're not taking time to strengthen the sides of their hip and their their butts, quite honestly. And they're like, well, I do squats. I do lunges. I don't get it. So when we talk about strengthening your side hip or your back hip, it has to be more in like an isolation. So easy exercises, a lot of teams do bridges and I'm not talking um, acrobatics here. I'm talking more physical therapy, gym style. So you lie on your back, you squeeze your bum, raise your hips up, you hold the position while squeezing your bum and progressing to, could I do it on one leg and hold it there with my hips being level. And if you ask your team to do that, you are going to have a lot of talking and coaching time because you're going to walk around and help every dancer because after five seconds, they're going to be falling over. Right, so, so many of them can't do it. Yeah, a lot of them can't do it. So start with two legs and I have my dancer that say, squeeze your bum, 
lift your hips. I need you to stay there. We're going to work up to one minute on two legs. Um, same thing with our side bodies. A lot of dancers don't condition their side bodies or they're not real strong in their side bodies. So we do a side plank on your knees and you'll realize after 10 seconds, your team is back on the floor. So we're like, okay, let's work up to 10 seconds as our first goal. Instead of saying we need to hold the whole baby shark song on our first go around. <laughs> right. Oh, that's interesting. So side planks, do you dip with that or just hold? I usually have them hold because dips are actually almost easier. Like they can release the muscles and I want them to build really good endurance in the back and the side of their standing hip. Well, that was good advice. All of this is so interesting, Meredith. And it's just, you know, I feel like it's just so helpful to coaches to hear all these things from you. So I really appreciate it. Is there anything else we could add? I think we've touched, well, there's probably one more, the non-contact concussions. So we're not seeing them as much in Minnesota, but out of state, we're seeing a lot of them. And the reason why, so these are concussions that are happy, happening with nobody even touching their head. They're not getting kicked. They're not falling on their head. Nothing bad is happening, but they're doing head whips. And Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of head whip moves. I see it a little in Minnesota, but not as much. I see it more in our hip hop teams. And what they don't realize is that like pro cheer, they have special hairdressers to cut their hair in layers to make it do the whippy thing. And they're also not whipping their head in circles. They go on a diagonal, so it's an illusion that the head went in a circle. So if you are choreographing head whips, it's really important to... A, get a hairdresser involved so your team's hair is layered right to get the effect you're going for. And then B, the choreography is a diagonal choreography, not a chronic circular uh, head whipping choreography. Because you can actually cause a concussion by the your brain basically hitting your skull with how hard you're whipping your head? Pretty much. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's our new science right now. We're like, wow, there's non-contact concussions. They're occurring in dancers. That's something I had not heard yet. And um, back to the hip rotation. Now I'm switching subjects back. Do you feel there will ever come a time where they will um, limit the amount, like a pitcher, how, you know, they say you can only pitch so many innings. Do you think there'll ever come a time, especially in a state like Minnesota, where we have so many circular fan kicks, where they will limit that? I think at some point we're going to see it, but things are still catching up right now. So a lot of people say, I grew up doing dance team. We did a thousand fan kicks, but 15 years ago, the MRI wasn't even being used to detect labral tears in the hip. They didn't even know that you needed a three Tesla MRI to go see what was going on inside the hip. So they were just like, oh, you got a hip flexor strain, no big deal. And now that the MRIs have improved their technology and we're like, oh, this is what's going on. And then we started understanding there's different hip types. They aren't all built the same on the inside. So the science and the repairs and the surgeries are very young. They're only 15 years old. So it takes a ton of time for that to carry over into sports and dance science in terms of what we're asking coaches and federations to do. Not to mention we have a ton of tradition in Minnesota that's very strongly upheld. So I, I can say right now, 
not every kid can do a fan kick without hurting themselves. And not every kid can do the straddles without hurting themselves. But it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be on the team. It just means we need to think about if they are complaining about, wow, I really have hip pain. This isn't normal. We need to think about the choreography we're having that dancer partake in and how many reps they're doing and how many reps we're doing at the full height. Because that's where we're getting it. It's at the full height. It's not when we go rocket height. Because rockets in New York City don't have the same issues that we're seeing with some of the extreme height on it. Right. And that would be a discussion that we would need as coaches to have with judges to limit that. And I know I get concerned when I have younger kids on my team. And I was watching some teams down at the state tournament that had you know, you could tell the kids were like 12 and 13 and 14. And I know my own granddaughter's bugging me. I want to be on the high school team. And you've taken kids that young before, but I'm kind of going, I know I did, but I, I want to not do that anymore because of this very issue. You know, it's it's scary. Yeah, and that's a really tricky one, especially because it's almost interesting because you're 12 and 13-year-olds that haven't developed yet can still whip their hips and they can do okay with it. But when they start to develop and start to mature and the bone starts growing and the muscle doesn't keep up, that's when they get frustrated because they say, well, I did that when I was 12, so I'm just going to whip it. I'm going to put more momentum behind it. And that's where those injuries are occurring when we see those students growing, but the muscles, they can't keep up with the bone. And some of that bone is forming and it's no longer cartilage. So some of your older kids, they can't do scorpions. They can't do fans the same height as when they were 12. Yeah. And sometimes I see, you know, I've had to talk kids down because I'm like, you guys, you're growing and your muscle has not kept up with your bone. Don't get frustrated with yourself. You have to be patient. And it's, you know, sometimes if they have that huge growth spurt, that's when you really see it. Absolutely. And that's, it's tough. It's tough for coaches because it might have been, you know, your star dancer who grew six inches over the summer and now they're having trouble with coordination. They're having trouble with flexibility. They don't, they don't understand why they're not front and center right now. And that's where it's really hard on the coaches to navigate um, all the dynamics. And the self-esteem of the dancer, you know, understanding the whys behind it. Absolutely. And sometimes usually I'm the first to have that conversation, but coaches can have it too of, you know what? Sometimes your bones grow faster than your muscles and you might lose your splits for a year. It doesn't mean you're not a beautiful dancer. We can still focus on artistry and development and strength. And sometimes I show them some of the great dancers out there and I point out, so you think you can dance just because it's my favorite show. And I'm like, look at those amazing dancers. Like they're on TV, like they are national performers, but they're not doing scorpions. You know, they're not kicking themselves in the head, but these are professionals. Right. That's so good to know. Well, Meredith, this has been awesome, and I just appreciate you taking the time, and we sure hope to have you come in and teach some classes sometime soon. That would be awesome because we loved it when we had you at camp. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. I appreciate every opportunity to share with the dance community because, like I said, it's my absolute passion just to do anything I can to help dancers. I've been super lucky to have amazing mentors and opportunities along the way. And I just hope to pay that way forward as we go. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Anything But Routine podcast. Be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this podcast, give us a five-star rating. For more Anything But Routine content, go to justforkicks.com slash anythingbutroutine.